Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Lisa H., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Memphis, Tennessee. Today is Wednesday, December 16th, 2020. This is the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting. Today, we're reading from the big book, and we're in the chapter, There is a Solution, page 23, and we're reading the first paragraph that begins, these observations would be, and we'll be reading and commenting on one paragraph this morning. Today's readers for the 12 Steps, Matt J.F., for the 12 Traditions, Yvette L., readers of the text are Larry K., Barbara E., and our newcomer greeters, Reva P., and our second hour host is Nancy P., and thank you all for your service this morning. The share IDs for yesterday, Tuesday, December the 15th, 2020, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 15,993. That's 15993. And the share ID for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 15,994. That's 15994. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Matt J.F. to please read the 12 steps. Thank you, Lisa. This is Matt J.F., gratefully recovered in Louisville, Kentucky. These are the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and, when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 
12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, I pass. Thank you, Matt J.F. And I'll now ask Yvette L. to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning. My name is Yvette L. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in New Britain, Connecticut, and the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers, may, service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service. Thank you, Yvette L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book. In the chapter, there is a solution on page 23, the first paragraph that begins these observations would be, and we'll be um, reading and sharing on that one paragraph. And I'll ask Larry Kay to please begin reading. Good morning, Lisa. Thanks so much for your service. Larry K. Recovered uh, Compulsible Reader from Chicago. These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. 
Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. If you ask him why he started on that last bender, the chances are he will offer you any one of 100 alibis. And sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility, but none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc an alcoholic's drinking bout creates. They sound like the philosophy of the man who, having a headache, beats himself on the head with a hammer so that he can't feel the ache. If you draw this fallacious reasoning to the attention of the alcoholic, he will laugh it off or become irritated and refuse to talk. Uh, good morning, everyone. You know, uh, when I read this paragraph, um, you know, I realize that I, that I obviously have, have an issue with my body, right? That when I ingest my, the physical substance, uh, it triggers that phenomenon of craving. And of course, my desire for more intensifies, right? Uh, but that's not my biggest problem, unfortunately. That's, that's problematic indeed, but that's not my biggest problem. My biggest problem it's telling me here, really throughout this book, centers in my mind. You know, and, and, and I look at it this way. If the main problem centered in my body, then diets would work for compulsive overeaters. And you know and I know that if you're a real compulsive overeater, they don't. And if the main problem was merely in our body, then treatment centers, you know, for eating disorders, uh, where they would, you know, people would come in and they would dry out from their binge eating and their purging and the restricting and all those types of things. And then those treatment centers would churn out amazing rates of recovery when you dry out and they don't. And if the main problem centered in my body, then, you know, bariatric surgery and liposuction and Gosh, you remember FenFen? All, all these physical solutions would solve the problem. And see, for people like you and me, they don't. Now, it goes on to say that if you, you know, if, if you asked me why I started on that last bender, I would offer you lots of alibis, you know, lots of excuses. That, and most of them were plausible. You know, I, oh, I'm in a new relationship, I would eat. Oh, I'm in a, an old, tired relationship, and I would eat. I got a new job, a new boss, a lot of stress. I would eat, oh, gosh, the same old job, the same old boss, and I would eat. You know, when the Cubs won, I would celebrate and eat, me and Harlan would. And when the Cubs lost, we would eat. Sometimes I was utterly exhausted, and I would eat, just so tired. And sometimes I was so full of energy that I couldn't stop my mind from racing, and I would eat. Sometimes I felt really dumb, really stupid. And I would eat, and sometimes we, we feel too smart for our own good and we eat. See, my partner doesn't pay enough attention to me or my partner doesn't leave me alone. It really didn't matter if I was anxious or I was bored. I would eat. Even a vision for you, too focused on the big book, I'll eat. And then in my same breath, I'll, I'll talk about how nobody is showing me how to work the steps. See, as long as I am in a disharmonious relationship with my creator, I will have no mental defense against taking that first bite. The main problem centers in our mind, not in our body. We have to have a complete internal shift, a transformation, revolutionary transformation of, of mind, and then the body too, right? A transformation of the mind. And when we do and we're brought into harmony with our creator of our own understanding, we do have a mental defense. We won't want the first bite, and it's experiential. You won't know it until you experience it. So I had to quit trying to ask and figure out first 
how and why this would work and just trust the process. With that, I pass. Thanks so much, Lisa. Thank you, Larry Kay, for getting us started. And although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your shares to every third day in order that others might share their experience too. So if you shared on Monday or Tuesday, we ask that you hold off. And who would like to share on what was read this morning? Rick J. Melissa C. Reva P. Melissa C. Reva P. Matt E. from the UK. Okay, hang on. I got Joe Barbara. I got you. Hang on. Um, And Nancy P. I got Nancy P. Okay, I missed whoever's from the UK. So let me tell you who I have. Claire, thank you. Okay. Thank you. So I have Rick J, Melissa C, Reba P, Harlan G, Claire E, Nancy P, and Barbara E. What a great lineup. Rick J, please go ahead. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Rick J. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from uh, North Carolina. And I love this paragraph. Um, and one of the things that really jumped out at me was the, uh, you know, the problem, you know. And when when I was very young, I, I had a problem. And, you know, it was this uh this fear this incredible fear that that um I lived in you know and I had no way to deal with it um I had no way to understand it there were circumstances in my life that had been created that uh you know that caused this fear and when I first found sugar it did something for me that nothing else could it it gave me a sense of ease and comfort. And and at six years old, I knew enough to know that this was doing something for me that I could not do for myself. And, you know, the uh, phenomenon of craving had not started yet. Uh, the obsession of the mind had started because what what it was doing for me was that ease and comfort was taking me to a place that I could cope with the life that was going around me that I could not cope with. Um, and in a way, you know, it was emotional pain management. I, I have a dear friend who, who uh, broke his back years ago and has had a lot of surgeries. He has a pain management doctor. And for me, you know, once this, this effect took place, it was managing my emotional pain. So when I kept going and, you know, in with eating food, you know, I kept seeing that reinforcement that this is doing something for me. This is doing something for me. And, you know, and I stopped looking at what it was doing to me. It didn't matter what it was doing to me. All I needed was it to create this effect for me. And it did for a long time. It worked. And it became my higher power because it truly was something, you know, above and beyond something that I could produce in myself. And after, you know, the craving and the binges, you know, what would lead me back to it? And it was constantly this sort of underlying 
emotional pain management, that that was like the thing that was going to give me ease and comfort. And even if I wasn't in emotional pain, you know, there was a part of my soul that had a hole in it and needed to be filled. And that obsession to fill it was constantly there. And it takes a higher power, as we've just talked about. That's the only thing. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rick J. And Melissa C., you're up, followed by Reba P. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for your service this morning. My name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I live in New York. And, you know, when I read this, it's, um, yeah, to look at this and just the allergy, right? If I only focus on the allergy, it's academic and pointless because, um, Lots of people have allergies, and they don't keep on consuming the thing that they're allergic to. So, um, you know, unless, of course, you're still debating the allergy fact, right, unless you're still debating whether or not um, these substances have this crazy bodily effect on you. And if that's where you are still, um, you know, you probably have more research to do or you don't have this problem. But... What about once you know it as, like, as a fact? So, like, I knew this as a fact that I could not eat certain things without without um, being owned by it. As soon as I put it in my mouth, it was like all bets were off, and it was the only thing I could lock in on. And yet, here I am, right? Here I was. I couldn't stay away. And and that means that there's something really wrong with my with my brain with my thinking um and i i like to think i'm like a reasonably intelligent person i understand um consequences i understand cause and effect i get it and yet um this kind of you know fallacious reasoning that they talk about like um you know that i'm gonna hit myself on the head with a hammer so i don't feel the ache is it it really explains um how Nothing in the world made me want to eat more than the pain of of being obese, right? And yet I understood consuming food increased my weight, right? And yet I ate because I was miserable over my eating. And I did this day after day after day after day, which means that there's something really wrong with my head, right? Which is why I need 12 steps. Otherwise, all I would need is half of step one. I would need to understand that I'm powerless, but I'm unmanageable. I have a problem that cannot be managed by a human being, right? And that's why um, this part is so important, to understand the fact that it's a mental problem, that it's, it's a greater problem exists in my thinking. Because it, once I get that, then I know that I have to work the rest of these steps so that I can have a brain. You know, I say it's like a brain transplant. I needed a new head. I needed a new way of thinking, a new way of being so that I'm, I don't, you know, I don't fall for fallacious reasoning anymore. And um, thanks. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And Reba P., you're up, followed by Harlan G., Good morning. This is Reva P., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. I was that person. I was that person in the last sentence. If somebody would have told me 
that I had more than a physical problem because I knew, I knew I had something weird going on physically. I knew that once I ingested certain substances, um, I could not stop. Um, if you would have told me that I had wrong thinking and that there was a problem in my mind, I would have laughed it off or become irritated or refused to talk to you. There is no way I thought I had a mental issue. I thought I was coming here to get the food in order, get it under control, that was the big word, control, and then I would leave and carry on with my life. Thank you very much. It is only when I got detoxed, it is only when I got defogged and the food ingredients behaviors were down, was I able to become aware with the help of my fellows and my sponsor that my thinking was faulty. It was a huge revelation because the fallacious, wrong, untrue, crazy thinking was, I'm mad at this person, I need to binge. I am a little too excited, I need to come down. Um, I need the food to take me down. I'm a little bit too tired, I need the food to pick me up. I can't stand something I need the food to take the edge off. I need to numb out. That was the reasoning, and it made sense in a weird kind of way. Um, and it is only now when I have some distance and, and like not blocked off with the food that I can be so aware of that. Um, and what strikes me is the title page above this paragraph because it explains in the previous paragraph that I have the physical allergy. So I need a solution for that, and that is you know, the abstinence and putting that stuff down. But there is a solution because I need a solution for the mental problem. And if I don't understand that I need a solution for my thinking problem, I won't understand the necessity of working these steps, as we are told, like my hair is on fire, all the time the rest of my life because I need this power that will solve my problem. Um, and the reason I need the power is because I can't fix my broken mind. I need a power to come in and heal that um, and fill that spiritual problem, really, um, that I didn't even know I had. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Reba P. And Harlan G., you're up, followed by Claire E. Thanks, Lisa. Um, thanks for uh, taking the meeting, and, and thanks to all the people on Team Wednesday for making this possible. I am Harlan G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I am in Scottsdale, Arizona. This paragraph, I waited for this paragraph, by the way. Um, this paragraph is particularly poignant to me because, the, therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body, repudiates the lie that I had been told from the day I was born. From the day I was born, people said to me, if you lose weight, everything will be okay. If you lose weight, everything will be okay. Don't eat so much, you'll feel better. Oh, they were right. When I don't eat so much, I feel anger better. I feel fear better. I feel jealousy better. I feel crushes on girls better. I feel like killing myself better. I feel like killing you better. And when I didn't eat so much, I felt horrible. And I lost a lot of weight at various times in my life. 
I had lost weight in tops as a kid, Weight Watchers as a kid. I went to these places as a, as a preteen and lost a lot of weight. And it didn't fix me. It didn't help me. Because the desire for food was still very, very strong. And I did not know why I was doing what I was doing. Tomorrow, we're going to read the words, once this malady has a real hold, they're a baffled lot. I didn't know why I was doing it. I just knew that I couldn't stay out of the food for very long. This disease ransacked me. This disease tore me asunder. It destroyed every dream I didn't even dare to dream. It emasculated me and it cast me aside from society. It made me the butt of jokes. It deformed me, it defined me, it vandalized me. And here's the punchline. If I stop working these steps, I will go back to the candy, the cookies, the cakes, and the fried foods that did that to me, and I will go back to them willingly, and I will go back to them with a avarice, with a zeal that you cannot believe. Don't be standing in my way when I'm running toward the Oreo cookie display at the local supermarket and I'm in my disease. I will trample you because I've got to die fast. I didn't want to be the way I was. I didn't know any alternative. So the emancipator here is the main problem centers in my mind rather than my body. And that's what the steps do beyond the first half of the first step. The steps will produce a spiritual awakening within me so that the urge to eat is simply not there. And when the urge to eat like that is simply not there, I don't eat that way. And when I don't eat that way, I don't get destroyed. But losing weight did not make me recover. A spiritual awakening made me recover. And the spiritual awakening aided the weight loss of over 500 pounds. With that, I will pass. Thanks again. Thank you, Harlan G. And Claire E., you're up, followed by Nancy P. Hi, everyone. My name's Claire E. I'm from the UK. I'm talking to Lisa in Cornwall. And thank you for some great sharing this morning. Really appreciate that from the people who do service. Um, I love this paragraph. There's so much in this paragraph. I'm going to find it difficult to keep it in three minutes. So I, um, my history in OA is that I first came across OA when I was 18 and I'm now 46 and I have three years of abstinence. So the maths is that. So I am someone who's thoroughly relapsed in this program. And I think I probably got the physical powerlessness. I got that maybe 10 or 15 years ago. I could really get that I was physically powerless over certain substances. Um, and I kind of understood, I think, intellectually, the idea that I was, you know, had a problem with my mind. I definitely kind of had a problem with my mind. Um, but I think what really changed for me this time around was exactly what it describes in this program, is that in, this, in this paragraph, is that, you know, um, I have a mind that will inevitably, without a shadow of doubt, and like Harlan's just described, sooner or later, take me back to the food. That is absolutely 100% guaranteed that sooner or later, I will come up with a certain excuse. It will be an option. It will come into my brain. It will come in a very sneaky way. It will be something very innocuous to start off with. 
but it will grow and it will grow and it will, it will overcome all my rational thought and I will pick up the food. And that is 100% guaranteed unless I continue to work the steps as I've been shown and have my spiritual awakening. Um, and that was what really changed for this time is really that acceptance that like a battery that gets taken off the charger, I will lose my charge. There's just no way around it. My mind will start moving towards the food. Um, and it starts the moment I stop doing um, the things that keep me well. Um, and just moving on through the paragraph, you know, so it centers in my mind. Um, and the havoc, an alcoholic, the havoc, you know, the, the, the way that my eating disorder affected my life and those around me. You know, the life of the havoc, it was, I was, I was enraged, I was, I was uh, you know, the uncontrollable screaming, the emotional ups and downs, the desperation, the tears, the physical stuff, the crying. Um, you know, it was absolutely um, dreadful, the consequences of these things, you know, and, um, yeah, I don't want to go back to that. I really don't want to go back to that. Um, and I, I know what the you know solution is now, and that you can take the 12 steps as outlined in this big book. But I, I think what really comes through to me with this paragraph is it's the, the insanity precedes the first compulsive bite. You know, in the chicken and egg of, what you know, the physical powerlessness and the mental obsession, there is no chicken and egg. The mental obsession, the, the, the insanity, the insane thought precedes the picking up the drink. And I had to really get that, that depth before I was able to put the food down, um, hopefully for good one day at a time. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Claire E. And Nancy P., you're up, followed by Barbara E. Hi, good morning. Thank you for letting me share. I'm Nancy P., recovered. I live in West Newton, Massachusetts. Um, so, therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers is in his mind. And I never believed that. I just sat there, miserable, eating, eating, eating. And I refused to consider that there was a problem with my thinking. <clears throat> and, and there was ample data. You know, I am a data-driven person. And um, there was ample, you know, evidence of my faulty thinking. And um, not just about my weight and eating when it was obviously not in my best interest to do so. But, um, you know, I have many times in my life have acted in, in ways that, would boggle the mind and I just thought I was fine. Um, one example is that I got in a car accident every weekend for two months when I was in high school and I didn't think there was any problem with that. And you know, my parents did, they couldn't afford to let me drive anymore. And um, you know, but I was like only resentful that they wouldn't let me drive. Not that I, you know, there was no question in my mind that there was a problem with my thinking. It was everybody else's fault. And you know, I, could have been told and was told, not by my, my mother, but other people would occasionally say, you know, um, why, you know, why would you do that? Or, uh, you know, or if we were going out to eat, I'm, I'm going to have something a little less rich. And, um, you know, not me. I just ate the way that I wanted to eat and hated the way that I looked. And, um, you know, I have to be beaten over the head with a two by four to even get my attention, never mind change my way of thinking. And, you know, the only way to do that for me was with pain. And um, I had had plenty of pain in my life, plenty, and it wasn't enough. And when finally, you know, I was brought to my knees, I don't even like that um, phrase, but when I was stopped in my tracks, let's say, finally, when I stopped and I said, tell me what to do, I don't know, um, then I got better. And um, 
and suddenly when I look back, all of the evidence that was there in my life for me to see about why, you know, where the problem really resided, you know, made me cringe. But, you know, luckily the book tells me that we don't wish to forget the past nor wish to shut the door on it. You know, as others have said, I needed every bite and I wouldn't go back even if I could, like it says elsewhere in the book, you know, every single thing that's, that it promises in this book, every single thing without exception has come true for me. And I needed that fallacious reasoning for all those years so that I could finally come to the point where I am. Everybody say it with me. It starts with S and ends in arrender. You know, um, every, every bite that I took, that I ate, I needed so that I could finally get to the point of um, surrender. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy P. And Barbara E., please share with us. Star one, Barbara. She shared yesterday. Good morning, everyone. It's Barbara E. here in New Jersey. Thank you so much for allowing me to share. Well, there are no guarantees in this world, no guarantees in this book, no guarantees in OA, but there are opportunities. It's up to me. I know I will be a compulsive overeater today, tomorrow, and always. And I had to accept that my main problem really did center in my mind. I fixate on an insane idea that I needed some candy and something greasy and salty to go with it. And I couldn't stop thinking about it until I finally bought it and ate it. And then went back to a different store for even more. Then when I finally wanted to stop stuffing my face with food, I couldn't. But I still persisted in that delusion that I could and would someday be able to eat like a normal person. And that too had to be smashed. And when the illusion that food, lots of food, would solve my problem was blown out of the water, I surrendered. There was nothing left for me to do but pick, bend down to pick up the spiritual toolkit and ask, no plead for help. I knew I couldn't go on. I was a crazy person. I was selfish, self-centered, isolated, and lonely, and I couldn't stop eating excessively, even though I knew it was pure insanity. My family walked on eggshells around me because they didn't know which barber they were coming home to, a raging lunatic or Mrs. Brady from the Brady Bunch. And frankly, I didn't know either. But then when I asked a member at my very first OA meeting to be my sponsor, and she asked me if I was truly willing to do everything the big book told me to do, I said most emphatically, yes. I was scared because I'd failed so many times before on Weight Watchers, diet centers, with doctors and pills. But oddly, I began to feel hope that very first day that I could recover which gave me the willingness to proceed and do everything she asked. But I knew it was my job to do the footwork. The first two steps required awareness and acceptance, but the rest called for direct action by me and to work harder today than yesterday and even harder tomorrow and trust that my higher power has infinite and unconditional love for me 
and gives me everything I need, not necessarily everything I want. Thank you so much, I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. And we are um, on page 23 in There is a Solution. We read the first paragraph beginning these observations would be and sharing on that one paragraph. So the line's open for more shares. Sarah R. from New York. Loretta Loretta H. Sarah R. Loretta H. Edini M. Katie F. Andrea F. Andrea, I think you said F. Anita J. Anita J. And there was what, a male voice? Dwight M. Dwight, okay. We hope we will get to you, Dwight. So this is what I have. And you can correct me if I got your initial <laughs> incorrect. Pete B, Sarah R, Loretta H, Edini M, Katie F, I think Andrea F, Anita J, and Dwight M. So Pete B, you're up, please, followed by Sarah R. Thank you, moderator. Are you able to hear me okay? Uh, my name is Pete B. I'm a compulsive overeater, recovered today by God's grace and mercy. I've had some complaints about my uh, my headset, so hopefully it's going to cover the it's going to it's going to get me covered. But anyway, thanks for taking the meeting. Good good chapter, right? So so it, it's nice. They're telling us where the problem centers, right? It's a psychological problem. So then we have to you know work this program, get involved in the fellowship, connect with a sponsor to rely on and work this new code of morals, right? This better philosophy of life so that we can have a psychological transformation. Sounds pretty logical and reasonable to me, right? Except our book doesn't say that, right? Our book doesn't say that this, that this new uh, code of morals and this new program of action produces a psychological change. It says it produces a psychic change, Right with psychic change, which means it's inexplicable, right? So if I if I proceed with these steps and I work like a therapeutic, you know, new you know new program of action, new practical approach to my life. Now I'm working steps 10, 11, and 12, working through my solutions and trying to perform some kind of psychological transformation. Well, then I missed the point. I missed the entire object of the book. Right? The object of the book is not to give me some new design for, for, for processing my problems. The, process, the, the, the objective of the book is to enable me to find a power, not a human power, that allow me to re- become recovered. Right? So it's, we, we're seeking not a psychological change. We're not seeking a psychological change. We're seeking a psychic change. Where, my trans, where I transition from relying on me, relying on others, relying on some strategy that's going to save me. My reliance, my absolute entire reliance needs to be on a power greater than myself. It needs to be on the God of my understanding. Right? We're going to lay out lots of information as we, tra- as we read through this book, lots of information. But you know what? Lack of information is not my problem. (laughs) Lack of information has never been my problem. I knew this shit before I ever darkened the doors of Overeaters Anonymous. I knew if I ate a spoonful of ice cream, I needed the pint. 
And then after a while, the pint wasn't enough, and then it needed to be a half gallon. And then after a while, the half gallon was enough. I knew that before I ever got to Overeaters Anonymous. I just couldn't, couldn't keep myself from going and taking that spoonful again. Right? And the only time that I was able to do that is when I asked the God of my understanding, God, I'm not even of my understanding, God I didn't believe in, to remove the merciless obsession, to prevent me from going back to that. And the entire rest of this program is all based upon me accessing, finding, and relying upon that power. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Pete B. And Sarah R., you're up, followed by Loretta H. Good morning. Um, are you able to hear me clearly? Yes. Hi, good morning. Thank you, moderator. Thank you, Team Wednesday. And thank you, every single one of you. You know, I heard in one of the meetings, you know, my higher power speaks through other people. And I thank every single one of you because my higher power speaks to me through all of you every single day with every share. My name is Sarah R. Grateful to be in this program one day at a time from New York. And, you know, hearing, hearing the shares, hearing, you know, what, what was read today, you know, I want to speak about fallacious reasoning and I want to speak about, you know, a disease of the mind. You know, for me, if I eat anything with raw pineapple, you know, there's no fallacious reasoning. I know my throat will burn and my tongue will burn for days and days and I might throw up a few times because, you know, that's the reaction my body has to it. And it's funny because people know that I'm in recovery so I can eat fruit at any place I go to. And they're like, well, what happens if you just have, you know, some watermelon that didn't touch the pineapple? But no, I know if, if anything on that plate, the, the pineapple goes through it and I'm going to have that reaction. And, you know, people try to negotiate with me around it. And, and I'm like, but, but this, is, this is the reaction that my body has to it, you know. But it's funny because when it comes to, to alcoholic foods for me, you know, fallacious reasoning, I have full-on amnesia. You know, like it's, it's you know, we're I'm celebrating the holiday of Hanukkah. And, you know, I decided, you know, even though I'm in this program and, you know, I know that I'm struggling so hard on, on one of my steps. And, you know, that's, that's where this, 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 you know, we're talking about it's the disease of the mind. Because I'm trying to think that I'm the one working these steps when it's essentially my higher power and there's like a lack of connection over there. So I'm, I'm struggling with the steps and one of the steps that I'm working on is, is bringing up so many things in me, you know, and because I'm in a pause, a, a, you know, a kind of pause, everything's on hold. And I thought it would be a logical, brilliant idea if I just had one donut because then I could just start the program over and it's, you know, it's the holiday, but it's funny because while I start planning and preparing, right, this fallacious reasoning, this disease of this mind, I start thinking, okay, if I'm having that donut, then I'm going to have this and this and this and this and this. And then I'm like, Sarah, just go do your step work pray, get on the phone with someone. And then finally, I, I realized like fallacious reasoning. And I had to understand that just like the effect of the pineapple, this will just, it will hurt my soul. And, and it's, it's recovery. And, and, you know, all the things that brought me into program, extreme weight gain, extreme weight loss, it's amazing. I never died from this, you know, 
and and all the people I hurt hurting myself and and this this higher power this is the glue that 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 mends me and my heart and helps me grow and then finally after I realized just you know, get into the steps and I don't need it. Suddenly my sister starts negotiating with me. You could just have one. It's the holiday and you're never going to have it again. And um, thank you. And I realized that, yes, there will always be people like that, but that's where program comes in. That's where the higher power comes in. And I'm grateful to have this program that I can utilize the tools and continue to recover one day at a time. Thank you all. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sarah R. And Loretta H., you're up, followed by Adini M. Good morning, and good morning, everyone who puts this meeting together and is on the line today. You have saved my life today. Uh, I also want to speak about the fallacious reasoning, and I heard this a long time ago, but the acronym for surrender is seriously understanding real recovery entails not debating every reason. And my debating society with reason is what got me in trouble. And as the others have shared, um, I actually used my anorexia as a child to save me from the chaos of my home. Uh, they would stop fighting if I stopped eating. So, and then the argument would be about me, and I could basically um, just be the problem. And I used that for a very, very long time because it worked, and then it stopped working. And I shared, I took my first job because I wanted it to keep me thin. I even used alcohol to keep me thin. I ran marathons to keep me thin, but nothing worked. My company sent me to therapy because I was. Um, into the anorexia at the time. And um, that power that the anorexia had over me, I only today can get it through a power greater than myself because I am only allowed this power if I access it. So my powerlessness and knowing, definitely knowing that my life is totally unmanageable because I could control it with the disease for a very long time but it's not and my life is it's that my life is unmanageable and I have to remember that and if I work these steps working with others clean house then I get to the awakening and then I get I the other morning I read something about a polished heart if I do this work, I can go out in the world with a polished heart because my heart, you know, a wretch like me wants to destroy everything around me. But with the steps, with God's grace, and he's given it to me, today I can be out in humanity as a person with a polished heart. And with that, I pass, and I really thank everybody on this line for saving my life today. You are the greatest. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Loretta H. And Edini M., you're up, followed by Katie F. Thank you for your service. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Edini M., and I am a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Always giving credit where credit is due. Hmm. 
Wow, what an important paragraph. And what is academic here? You know, the problem, the main problem, the main problem centers in the mind and not the body. So all actions are born in thought. The real insanity is picking up even though all consequences result to pain. But always picking up for what? For that ease of comfort, that effect. And this is this is the meaning of being powerless. And that's that's what defines insanity. It's doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And we stress self-knowledge avails us nothing unless, unless we focus not on the self, but just focus on the knowledge. What is the truth here? What are the lies? What is working? What's not working? What do I need to do? Whom do I need to ask for help? And I need to ask for help from someone who's living in the solution. And how, and how are they living in the solution? And I need a recovered compulsive overeater to guide me through the 12 steps. I need to be willing to go to any lengths to embody the 12 steps. I need to have the desire in my heart that I truly want to stop compulsively overeating, to admit that I'm, that I'm done with that and, and that I'm ready and willing to move on forward with my life. I need to believe that that's possible for me. If we don't believe in that, that it's not going to happen. And this is about waking up from being hypnotized from the food. This is about being um, asleep from our pain, being numbed from our emotions. If we are in this room, which I just checked, there are 435 people in this room for a reason, for a need. And what do we need? We need the 12 steps to bring us to a new relationship from the smaller God, which is our food, to the bigger God, which is our creator, which is our solution. And this new solution, this new relationship will solve all of our problems, will rewire our minds and soften our hearts and give us a spiritual awakening. And it's awakening to what? The truth. And the truth will set us free to live happy, joyous, and free. Thank you, God. Always giving credit where credit is due. Thank you so much. I pass. Thank you, Idini M. And Katie F., you're up, followed by um, Andrea F. Hi, this is Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And I just wanted to focus on this um, this idea of having a headache, he beats himself on the head with a hammer so he can't feel the ache. And for me, that looked like trying to change my external circumstances, thinking that, you know, it wasn't because I had all these excuses too. I always had excuses for why I ate. Um, It's even in OA, you know, I didn't understand that it was um, a two-part illness at all. And so I got this idea that if I <clears throat> changed my circumstances, if I did exactly what I wanted to be doing, then I wouldn't want to eat anymore. Like I just thought that <laughs> I had to just orchestrate everything, you know, have the career I wanted, pursue my dreams and, 
and be doing everything I wanted to do. And then I wouldn't want to eat. Like I had no concept that, um, that, and make sure that I was never around people who irritated me. You know, that was another thing, you know, just all these like rules for how I was going to live. And so that then once all that was in order, then I wouldn't want to eat anymore, that it was all these external circumstances that were causing my problem. And I just didn't get it. And of course, thinking that it was only about the allergy of the body, as everyone has shared, you know, if that were true, as, as people have shared, then I, I would have been able to stay abstinent, you know, from the 10 years old when I went on my first diet. And, and that didn't work. So it was such a mystery. And, you know, quite frankly, it can still be a mystery why after 33 years, I can stay abstinent every day, one day at a time, regardless of my circumstances. But it is a combination of having the foods out of my body and also having a connection with my higher power and trusting and relying on him and knowing that I have cleared up the wreckage of my past. I don't have to go back to that, um, to the way I was living before. And even though things are painful and annoying and every other adjective you can think of that life brings you, regardless of whether you're absent or not, um, I don't have to go back to the food and I don't have to change my circumstances. I don't have to beat my head um, with a hammer to avoid the pain of life and to forget about um, what's going on. I can be happy, joyous, and free regardless of my circumstances, and I don't have to pick up the food. And until I could get to the point to believe that it wasn't the food, it was my thinking that was killing me, I could not recover because I was always looking on the outside, wanting what other people had, thinking that that was what I needed to do. And it's an inside job. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie F. And Andrea F., you'll be our last share this morning. And Anita J. and Dwight M., I hope you'll stay on to share the second hour. So Andrea F., please share with us. You have two minutes. Hi, Andrea F. Um, Good morning, everyone. Today I have 30 days um, abstinent, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, I love this paragraph. It really addresses my real issue. I'm finally learning. Um, because my mind becomes convinced that I can eat these things um, over and over. And that, that I could learn to moderate. Um, that's what I become convinced of. I become convinced that I will eventually be a normal eater. And that I will be able to eat a piece of cake and not want anymore. And that I'd be satisfied. Um, and I really want that. And, um, you know, there's this movement called intuitive eating as well as haze, which is health at every size approach. A lot of, um, mental health professionals and medical professionals are now learning about it. And, um, I became very convinced that, that they were right. And, um, you know, this, this way of just teaching yourself to eat, normally and just take off all the restrictions because the restrictions are what are what is really causing your binge eating and I became so convinced of that that I did you know over and over I would just tell myself you can have whatever you want I mean there's no bottom to that for me um so it doesn't matter you know I've been in and out of OA for seven years and I can never just get it and I think this time now that I've finally conceded to my innermost self that no I cannot have these things 
no matter how hard I try, no matter how many of these, you know, people that um, all these books and the podcasts and endless hours and research and, you know, pointing to other people that can do it that way, can learn to moderate. It doesn't matter because I'm not them. And, um, you know, the sense of ease and comfort that I do get from the food. And I, you know, I have a lot of anxiety. I always have. And as a kid, when I would um, get this feeling of anxiety, I couldn't really articulate it, but I knew that eating food made me feel better immediately. And that was the only thing that helped. Um, so uh, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Andrea F. And thank you to everyone who shared today. Thank you to Team Wednesday. And please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for this morning, Wednesday, December the 16th, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting is 16,000. Um, and four. So it's 16004. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Barbara E., will you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. It would be my honor. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you can't transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.